Hey, everybody. Um, folks at, uh, at East or uh, downtown or online may not know this. Got to say something to West. If you look around, just want to tell you there's other services and other locations. And there's room. Just if you don't, don't go. Like, there's no room at that place. There, there's room, but just bring it to your attention. Hey, we're, we're doing a series. This is the church. And it might think like, well, I, I'm new to church or, or I'm not sure what to think about church. Here's a summary. The, the church is people. So when we talk about the church, yes, we're talking about like this bigger thing that we're a part of, but you're also talking about yourself. And I know it sounds weird and this should make sense, uh, but it matters to all of us is what I'm saying. So when we talk about the church, we got to figure out that you and I aren't bringing our own opinions because you got them. So do I. <laughs> And we say, what, when I ask you what's church, you're like, well, I'll tell you what church is. And some of us would be like, that's a five-minute conversation. For some of us, that's a five-hour conversation. And so where, where's the church going? You know what? If we're going to live our purpose, our mission in life, if we're actually going to do life the way that, that God like, actually made you and I to do it, what would that look like? And we're talking about that. So to help us, and Jesus was an amazing teacher, <laughs> He boiled it down to one sentence. If you've ever thought, man, being a Christian is complicated, this church thing is weird. Well, it is weird, but anyways, but it's this church thing is like like all these rules and regulations. You know that Jesus said, here, I'm going to give you one sentence, and it can lead and drive the rest of your life. And if you missed it, you don't know what that sentence is. And you're like, why don't you go to the sentence? Okay, here we go. This is what we as a church are looking at. Matthew 4, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, and here's your sentence, new, old, I don't care how long you've been a part of church, what is church, what is following the way of Jesus? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He wasn't just saying it to those two guys, he was saying it to you and to me. Us as Fountain Springs Church, us as followers of Jesus Christ. So the first was, was follow me. And, and just for you, not me, me, follow God. And it starts off, if you want to know the posture, what we talked about as a church was, like if you want to know how to live life, you start off like this. You exalt God. Everything is about God. It's a surrendered life. No matter what season of life you're in, if you're a parent, if you're not, if you're married, if you're not, if you're rich, poor, educated, not whatever you are, this this is life. Exalt God. If you're a part of this church, this is what we should be about. Hold me accountable to it, okay? There, you're welcome. You can write that down. You should hold me accountable to us being a church that exalts God, doesn't exalt the pastor, doesn't exalt uh, people who give a lot of money, who serve a lot or whatever. We are a church who exalts God. That's what we should be about. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're in the mood to not just evaluate your pastor, Look at your own life. Is this your posture? Exalt God no matter what you do, wherever you're at, no matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing culturally, we exalt God. That's what he, that's what he asked us to do, follow him. It's all about him. But you'll notice that I happen to have bolded a part of that verse where it's follow me, I will make you. Which means he's not done with you. You're not finished. If you're breathing, 
You can go ahead and check if you'd like. That means that God has full intentions of using you, but he needs to make you, form you, grow you. And I think this is where some of us get lost. So here's some of the terminology that's been used throughout centuries regarding church. When we say, uh, I will make you, it means to edify the saints. Now, I know, I know you regularly use the word edify, right? Now, you're, if you're like me, you're like, edify, I should know what that, I should look that up, actually. Edify is not a normal word that we use all the time. I'm going to explain it. But some of you, you didn't get lost on the edify. You're like, the saints, who are those? Are those, are those the dead Christians for me just to bring it up very forthright with you? According to God's word, not according to tradition, according to God's word, saints are followers of Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, I don't feel like one. I understand. Some of you are like, I'm not living like one. Okay. But according to scripture, you are set apart. You are a saint. Now, don't go to work telling everybody that. That might be a little weird. But if you want to know what you're about, yes, exalt God. Whatever you do should be about God. However you do it, exalt God. He's God, you're not. But then you got the process of edify the saints. And, and that is uh, what Jesus is using is, is discipleship language. If you're unfamiliar with discipleship language, let me give you some terminology because this is important. Disciple, by definition, someone who follows, learns, and models their life after someone. Now, this is important. You can't take things out of this definition. Because nowadays you're like, oh, I follow that person on social media. No. It's the modeling your life after someone. It's more than I read that person's book or I listened to their stuff or there's podcasts or articles or things like that. It's, it's far bigger than that. To be a disciple is you're, you're taking in that person's information that they're disseminating, but you're taking it in and you're saying, and now I'm, I'm applying it. I'm actually modeling it. That's a big deal. Someone who follows, learns, and models their life after someone. Is that you? Hmm. Let me give you some more color to this. Let me take you into the Bible. Matthew 16, Jesus said, Now I say to you that you, you are Peter, which means rock. That's important why that's in there, because then it says, And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Can I just say something that's not in my notes? The answer is yes. I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> There's a lot of fear-mongering these days. There's an article that got sent out this past week of a of data that says that before I retire as a pastor, assuming that I won't make it that far, but anyways, but based on statistics, before I retire as pastor, Christians will become a minority in our country. It's a little daunting when you hear that, right? I'm not suggesting that disseminating that information is fear-mongering. I'm just saying in our world right now, it's very popular to pass out the, the negative and to make you and I scared so that you and I will respond to the fear. I just want to point out all the powers of hell will not conquer the church. Now listen. Based on Christians actually letting Jesus make us. If you want God to actually be like out and about in this world, like you dreamt of, like the scriptures say, if you want people's lives to be changed by Jesus, 
He wants to use you. So that's why this conversation isn't just about on, at one moment, having this moment, which you should. I believe in salvation moments. I know there was a moment that I like, stood in front of Katie, in front of some people, and committed to her for the rest of my life. That's a moment. I'm a strong believer of salvation moment that you have. Some of us don't remember it. We were so young, right? But I believe in these moments, but you got to know the relationship is far than, more than the moment, right? Can you imagine me going to Katie? Hey, I mean, we're, we're going to celebrate 20 years later on this year. And, and I mean, in theory, you're assuming that I've still been like in the house with her and hanging out and like investing, right? It's more than a moment. Now back to the sermon. Sorry. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Here's the language he used, the original language. Uh, build, he used this word. This word means to increase the potential of someone or something, to strengthen, to make more able, to build up. When Jesus was telling you and I that he wanted us to follow him, but that he would make us, he was saying, you have potential that only I can draw out. He was saying to you and I that you can't be what I want you to be unless you let me make you. The problem nowadays, but it's not a new problem, as we've not allowed him to make us all that he knows we can be. He was using rabbi language. If you've ever watched the show The Chosen, I'm not sponsoring it. I'm not, don't, don't. there's a show called The Chosen. If a couple seasons out, and it gives a good example of what it's like to follow a rabbi. It's Jesus choosing his disciples. And you and I look in at this um, guy's interpretation of a lot of it. It's really good. I do recommend it. But I'm saying he shows us what following a rabbi is like because Jesus was a rabbi. Uh, there, when you follow a rabbi, it wasn't just like, yeah, good teacher. So I'm just kind <clears> of <throat> here to learn some stuff. When you followed someone, it was not just, I want your information. It was, I want to be like you. Not, I want your, your, your high-level authority. They were actually trying to learn enough from the rabbi that they could be a mimic of them, be like them. In fact, one of the fun ways a, a rabbi would teach there's another word for it, but you and I would use the word, he would drop hints. And this is cool, because now it might help you as you study Jesus. If you ever read the Gospels, uh, the rabbi would say a little, a little portion of a verse from the Bible, would say just a little bit of a, from the Bible, and it would leave people confused. Maybe you leave a sermon going, no idea what he just said, right? Like, it's all a trick. No, um, so he would say just a little sliver of scripture, and he was doing it on purpose because the only way that you would understand what Jesus said, what the rabbi said, would to have been a student of the Bible. He was basically like a good teacher going, so we're talking about this, and there's a quiz, and you're like, well, I don't, didn't know we had a quiz today. And then the teacher knows, you didn't read, did you? Rabbis would do this. So when you study the life of Jesus, oftentimes he would just drop a sliver and he was training them. If you, un if you want to understand what I'm teaching you, you got to get into the Bible. So edify. Let's talk a little bit more about that and we'll move on. Uh, to edify, here's the definition. To instruct and improve, build up, 
to mature. So the church got this to edify the saints, to instruct the saints, to improve the saints, to mature the saints. If you're going to follow Jesus, it is not just this one-time moment. It is a maturing, a growing, a building. Now, many of us can remember when we decided to follow Jesus. Maybe for you, it was even an Easter or Christmas with Fountain Springs. But then, and you have a but then? It didn't go well, didn't go great? There's a warning in Scripture for Christians who just decide to follow Jesus, but don't let, let him make them. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. Now listen what this is saying. Saying to people who have claimed to stop sinning, they claim to follow God. They claim it. They would tell you, what did you do? I went to church. <laughs> and he's saying, I know you're doing that stuff, but you don't know God. And Christians, we need a bit of a, a wake-up moment where you and I aren't just saying, yeah, I believe that he exists, but there's a, and I know him. Now, don't take this too far. You're like, so if I don't know him really well, do I still go to heaven? <laughs> That's where we need to differentiate between earning versus effort. You do not have to earn the love of God. I'm going to say this again. You do not have to earn the love of God. You can't earn the love of God. You can't earn yourself into salvation. You can't, you can't be good enough. No, no amens in that one. Like, come on. Like, some, your pastor's like, I'm glad I can't earn because I wouldn't have earned it. This, this moment, this moment, this is submission. This isn't earning. This is, I'm not God. I can't do this on my own. That's what this is. But there is, there's effort, right? In any relationship that you ever have, there's effort. Like you gotta, you gotta do something. You wanna know the secret to parenting? Do something. Show up. Make some effort. If you're dating, you're like, who should I marry? Someone who will make effort for 60 years. Huh? Right? Here, here, here's the lesson. We have a role with our soul. I made it rhyme so you'd remember it. <laughs> no, you cannot save yourself. You can't earn God's love, but you do have a role with your soul. You're, there is something that you and I have got to be doing that's a part of the relationship. Let's, let's look at something in, in, in Scripture. John 6, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, that's interesting language, whoever comes to me. No, he didn't say, and whoever I've ever made, whoever, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes, there's, there's some effort there. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Perhaps the classic one, John 15, 5. Yes, I am divine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me. Meaning, if you're not interpreting this right, some people don't remain in him. <laughs> effort. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, but from apart, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Here's your lesson if you take notes. Knowing God requires deliberate effort. Emphasis on the deliberate and the effort. This is one of those sermons I feel kind of like the, like the physical trainer that's there for the third visit. 
And you're like, oh, are we sitting today? Is this a rest day? Right? Because there's the moments, the emotions, the all the butterflies of when you're following Jesus and you have this moment, like, yes, I'm all about this. But then there's the conversation going, are you going to keep doing this? Uh, our our nine-year-old's playing football. And he's playing both sides of this year on the line. So he comes back from practice like, yeah, it was awesome. And then the next day it's always like, what? I need to go to the hospital. Deliberate effort. So, so as a pastor, what I'd like to ask you, just begin to process, that yes, I know many of us would say, I love God, I want God, I like God. What kind of deliberate effort are you making? Now, some of you are like, I'm at church. Good job, good job. But I'm going to tell you as a pastor, if that's all you're doing, it's not that I would say it's not enough or you're not good enough, is you're going to miss out on your purpose. You're going to miss your mission. So let's spend the rest of this time talking about what does deliberate effort look like? Because some of you are very worried because you're like, what's he going to say that we have to do? Uh, I'll just show you what the Bible speaks. Let's let's go after this. Um, Matthew 7 says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Anyone who listens, anyone who listens, that's a trend of Jesus. John chapter 10, he uses a little bit different language here. My sheep listen to my voice, but watch, I know them and they follow me. Listening. Here's your lesson, deliberate effort. Dignify his voice. If you've ever said, would someone please tell me how to follow Jesus? You might say, I don't like organized religion. Okay, that's fair. Unorganized religion would be a little weird, but organized religion, I get that. I know what you're saying when you're really saying that. Let me boil it down. Let's talk about the words of Jesus. And Jesus would say, if you want to follow him, dignify his voice. Start letting his voice mean something. If you don't regularly use the word dignify, which I do not, here's how the the dictionary helps us to give status and worth. If you want to follow God, You take his voice and you put it to the top. And some of you are like, I've never heard him audibly audibly speak. I, I understand that. But you've heard of the Bible. It's called the Bible, the Holy Bible, Sante Bible, if you speak. Do you know that the Bible is called God's Word? which might be boiled down to God's voice. Some of us right now are hunting the purpose of God in our lives. We want to know, how do I make my marriage better? Where do we move? How do we do this? What job do I take? And you want to know, how do I lead here? What kind of business do I start? What kind of student should I be? And you begin to look like all these big questions. Do you know that so much in the Bible is trying to help you and I actually know how to live life? It's God's voice. So let me play dad for you. This is what... I pass on to my kids. The voices you dignify impact the direction you go. There you go, dad moment. And someone was like, yeah, we got to teach our kids this, right? When they start to have friends, you're like, I don't like that friend. Don't listen to that friend, right? Can we as adults say we still need to do this? 
Think of the voices in your life that have affected the direction that you go. One of the telltale signs I have as a parent, if I know how my kids are maturing, they start off with uh, very, very low level, and I, uh, hey, hey, we're going to go to the movies. And like, yeah, you're the best dad. Right now, my three-year-old, he told me yesterday, today I was going to be his best friend. <laughs> I love it. I want to hear that, right, at that age, right? And, and, but when I say, hey, Bo, it's night-night time. He does not look at me and say, awesome. (laughs) No, is what he says. It's an immature response because I'm dad, right? What I know maturity begins to happen is when even unsolicited, my kids begin to say, hey, dad, how did you? Hey, dad, what do you think about? What I've, I, and I've watched this. You begin to watch a kid mature and they begin to understand, I need other voices in my life that have already done what I'm about to do. I've learned this as a pastor. And you and I need to let God begin to tell us when we say, I know, you might not tell him you know better, but we act like we know better. What if we let God's voice, God's word get into our souls and we start to say, I don't like what you just said. I don't like how you said it, but I'm going to apply this whether culture likes it or not. I'm just going to do it because I'm dignifying your voice. I'm letting your voice have worth and value over everyone else's. I can go into my life and begin, I can can just right now process with you the people in my life that have directed me. Coach Deb Sigworth, my first soccer coach. I can can go to John Vermilia, Phil Hotson, Richard Scoggin. I can just, I can start naming people. The different things they said to me have directed the very path that I'm standing right now. Friends that I listened to their voices and I never should have. And I can think about my mom and my dad and my grandparents who have shaped me. Even to this day, I've got people in my life who have tons of freedom where their voice is dignified in my life. Eric Johnson, Steve Palmer, Kevin Bybee. People that can actually say something and because of who they are, their voices up. Have you let God be that voice? Matthew 7 Anyone who listens, anyone who dignifies the voice of God, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house like you're in South Dakota, it won't, help me with this, collapse. If you're not already, you need to put your life in place of what's being built because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And typically it's those individuals going, why didn't someone tell me? And God's like, why didn't you look at my voice and read my voice? Our culture right now is screaming for answers. And I think God's like, I wrote them down already. if you'll give me permission in your life, I think there's a lot of Christians who don't know what he's written. We don't know him. That's the first one. Second one, deliberate effort. Live in the garden, not the pot. 
Since preaching this, I kind of want to say not on the pot, but I'm not going to say that because my wife will say, that's bathroom language, David. (laughs) She's not looking at me. (laughs) Life in the garden, not the pot. Here's what I mean. Most people have things like this in their house, right? It's a potted plant if you've never seen one. They're pretty. They're nice. I have no involvement in our home of making sure these things live. I wouldn't do well with them. Some of you, you don't do it, right? This is a bad example of what it means to be a Christian. If right now you're wondering what your purpose is, your mission is, and you're like, it's just not working, you know, I'm trying to do this, it's because you're trying to do church, you're trying to do like Christianity, follow the ways of God, you're trying to do it by yourself without rooting in. So let's pretend this table is the church, this is many people. You show up, you're there, but as soon as, let's say Pastor David says something offensive, you leave and you go somewhere else and you don't plant down there either. Many of us don't understand why we're not connecting with God. It's because you're not in the community. Oh, you're present, but you're not integrated into the community. If you want to understand this, think about a family member in your own household who refuses to get involved, to share what's really going on in their hearts, to actually acknowledge you, to speak to you, to actually be a part of it. You'd be like, it's like you're not really a part of the family. Many of us have this in our homes, but they're definitely in churches like crazy. Live in the garden, not the pot. This is a bad way. You need to get integrated, involved, because you need to mature. Hebrews 10 is one place. There's many places. Let us hold tightly without wavering. If you're like, how do I do that? To the hope we affirm. That sounds awesome. For God can be trusted, sweet, to keep his promise. Amen. That's awesome. So how do we do this? Let us think of ways to motivate one another. If right now you need encouraged, there's another person around you that needs to encourage you. It's impossible if you guys don't know each other, talk to each other, ever get open. Let's think of ways to motivate one another, acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. This isn't just about like church on Sunday mornings or Tuesday nights or whatever. This is, this is about us like regularly meeting together in our homes together, coffee shops, sharpening each other. You know the scripture that we sharpen each other. Get out of the pot. Get into the garden. And let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. I, I don't think we're fantastic with this. Oh, there's a lot of people who come on Sundays and Tuesday nights and but God says, I got something better for you if you'd leave, leave the pot just by yourself and if you'd actually go into the garden. You'd get the nutrients that you need from others and you'd also get to share what you know as well. The last one. Oh, this will be the fun one. Deliberate effort. Let it cost you. See, there's many of us. Follow me. All right. You're God. I'm not. I've noticed that. I've Tried to beam myself somewhere else and I had to get on a plane, right? You're like, you're like I know I'm not God. I get that I don't have that, that kind of thing. And you're like, okay, God is God. He made this world. I got that part. We got saved. And many of us have stayed there. And why we've stayed there for some of us is because it began to cost us something. It began to mean that our life had, had to be lived differently. 
Uh, there's a new term for where you work, just so you know. You're not going to like this. This is actually, there's more and more articles coming out. It's called quiet quitting. Have you heard of this? Oh, I I'm sometimes play the role of boss. This is not quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is when you don't turn in the resignation. You don't give the two weeks notice. Oh, no, you keep drawing that paycheck. But you never do more than what's in the job description. You ever worked with someone who's like, why do you do that? That's not in my job description. And you're like, somehow I don't like you anymore. This, I don't know what just happened. Status quo. It's the person that you work with that doesn't go above and beyond. Do you know that now there's actually a generation saying, this is how I want to work. And they're saying, I don't want to burn out. I don't, and they're saying, I don't want this to cost me, so I'm going to show up. I'm going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to get my paycheck. I don't care about like making, getting promotions or getting paid more. I'm getting paid just enough to make it so. They quietly quit. Some of you who are type A's, you're like, where are these people? church is full of them. We had this moment, right? It's awesome. Especially in this church where sometimes we even they give you a little trinket because your pastor loves trinkets. I apologize for these trinkets. It's just it's a thing. And you got saved and you got something to remember it by. And then many people just move to their seat. And that's it. And you wonder why, why is this breaking down? Or why don't I just wake up in the morning and have, have a mission about my, my life? What, what's going on? And I would say some of us are not following Jesus the way he's asked. We're not being made by him because we quietly quit. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this kind of stuff. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Just stop for a moment. Let's see how honest we are as a church. You're like, God is love. Jesus summed up scripture, love God, love others. So you might be reading in your Bible, and maybe you do on a daily basis, you come across where it says, you know, hey, I want you to hate everyone. You're like, I do not understand. Skip that one. That's, I don't know, that's for the pastor to figure out. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. And if you don't know who everyone else is, he told us. Your father and your mother, hate them. Wife and children, hate them. Some of you are like, whoo. Some of you are like, I can get my parents. Don't worry. <laughs> Brothers and sisters. And it makes, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple if you don't, if you don't, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What do you do with stuff like this? Some of us are like, rip that out. Don't put that, that's not in my Bible. Keywords there are by comparison. That's why I bolded it for you. By comparison. Jesus is not being hypocritical by saying, I want you to love God and love people. I want you to hate everyone. He's saying by comparison, meaning we should love no one more than God. By comparison. So I'm about to step on some toes. If you need to take your shoes off, do it. 
where we live in our neck of the woods, many of us love our families more than God. Many of us love our country more than God. Is country bad? No. Is family bad? Nope, God gave you your family. The tension happens when we're unwilling to worship God and do life God's way because we're doing this for our family, this for our kids, this for our significant other, this for our job. Do you see what Jesus is saying? By comparison, by if you're going to compare how much you love God to how much you love others, hate everyone else in comparison to how much you love God. That's what following the way of Jesus is like. And we've done a good job at cheapening this, saying, no, I want both. My kids will do everything they get asked to do and can do. We will go everywhere that we possibly can go. We will do this and we will do that because God gave us our family. He's like, but I also told you other things. To give you some historical context, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said some things. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. This may not be your favorite sermon of the series. And if it's not, maybe there's your sign. Luke 14, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature. Can we just stop for a second and say what's tempting is tempting? That you have desires, so do I. Sometimes in the Christian world, we say, well, you shouldn't want any of that. Or we demonize people who want something that we don't want. We're like, how could you want that? When we're all called, all of us, to take our desires and passions that are sinful, that are against what God said. Put it on his cross. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So here's your question. What does following Jesus cost you? And some of us, I think, would find a difficult time creating a list of more than two to three things. We live in a country nowadays where what a blessing is that you can, you can pretty much say you're a Christian anywhere and you might lose some followers, not get some likes, get some nasty haters here or there, but you're probably not going to lose your life. Where there are other countries that I can't even tell you where churches are because if I say it all the way over here, they get in trouble there. But still there's a cost. I've, I don't, I've hesitated processing this in front of you, but I'm just going to, and I don't know where it goes. Katie and I love being here 
Love it. But being here means that it's a two-day trip to family. We love here. God's called us here. We're staying here. But there's a cost. For you, when you follow the way of Jesus, you, you won't be asked to do the same cost. You might do things that I couldn't be like, oh my, I can't believe you're having to do that. God really asks a lot of you. I'm just saying you should be able to easily look at your checkbook or your online banking. You should be able to look at your kids and what you say no to. You should be able to look at your dating relationship and say, I don't do this. You tracking with me? You and I should be able to say, yes, I love God. I exalt God. And if someone would say, prove it to me, you could say, well, since you asked, here's the list of where it costs me. We're trying to be, especially in the United States of America, we're trying to follow the ways of Jesus. Basically, we're trying to get the rewards without the responsibilities. And you, what I'm telling you is, it's not that all of a sudden God doesn't like you, it's you lose your purpose and your mission. God can't use someone who's not willing to put forth effort. So this is our call to action, church. Ask this question all week long. I'm not going to give you answers to it. You got your own. And may the Holy Spirit bring truth and grace as you ask him such a question What has following you cost me? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you help us? Would you remind us? Would you prompt us? Would you give us strength? Lord, I pray right now for those who would actually say right now it's costing them a ton. Lord, would you give them encouragement? Would you give them fresh breath? Would you rejuvenate them? Would your Holy Spirit carry them? And Lord, for those, including myself, where there's areas that we've refused to let it cost us, God, would you prompt us and help us and never let us forget areas that we can surrender to you. God, we love you. We follow you. Make us what you know we can be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.